Welcome to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Over the next hour, you're going to learn how to lead more efficiently and effectively in a post-pandemic world where the workplace has changed dramatically. Now, here's Monique. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in today. Last week, you heard me, Monique Denault, being interviewed by Richard Vaughn on Richard Vaughn Live. Today, tune in for another robust episode of Leading with Intention, where Richard interviews me again on his show. We'll discuss more insights about foreign culture, language immersion, and the importance of high-quality teacher training. You'll learn more about my personal and professional journey and how I got to where I am now as a coach, and you'll even hear Richard attempting to get me married off to a Spaniard. You won't want to miss this incredibly fun interview on Richard Vaughn Live as we share stories, insights, and most importantly, the amazing but complex English language. Tune in to this exciting hour and get to know me a little bit better. Welcome, welcome to a new edition of Richard Vaughn Live. Welcome, my God, it's 7.31 in the morning. I mean, so early. I can't imagine, but I love getting up early. Benjamin Franklin said, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, uh, I do get up early, but I don't go to bed early usually, so that's maybe why I'm not totally healthy, wealthy, and wise. But in any case, it gives you the impression of having a head start when you leave home before the rest, and you're one of the few out on the street when it's still dark in Spain. Spain is two hours ahead of the sun. Half the year, the daylight savings time, you're two hours ahead of the sun. In the, in the normal part of the year, it's one hour ahead of the sun. So there's never solar time in Spain. And, um, and so it's dark. Most of the year, when you, if you leave home at 7 or 6.45, it's dark. It's dark. There are only maybe 10% of the year you leave home at 6.45 and it's already starting to get light. Uh, nevertheless, you get a feeling of a head start. Now, it's not true. You're not necessarily getting a head start, but if you do it every day for 15 years, it ends up working positively on your psyche and you end up, it is a head start in life. You know, at least psychologically. Some people get up at, start work at 9.30, fine, and they can be equally or more productive. But I think if you look at a correlation, you'll see the correlation favors the early risers. You know, on, on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. But nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, as last Thursday, I'm here with Monique, with Monique Dignao. Yes, a very interesting person, my God. She has two daughters and five grandchildren? Yes. Yeah. Uh, she uh, had a, a troubled childhood and youth, adolescence, apparently. Uh, married at the age of 16. You're not the first person I know who did that. And a divorce later, but and so she, but and then remarried and divorced again. But she, in the meantime, she managed to, to start getting setting her sights and and her north star, let's say, or her compass in life. And uh, got an, a, a GED. She got her high school degree, and then she got an associate's degree, and a bachelor's and a master's. Yes. All right. We'll come to that a little bit later. And we were talking with her last last week and i wanted to bring her back today tuesday 
And she asked, she asked me a question because I was speaking about the quality of the teachers of Vaughn Systems here in this company. And she says, what's the secret? How do you find good teachers? I said, I don't find them. We create them. Starting in the mid-90s, I ran out. I, I needed more teachers than I could find of quality. I, it was before I could find through word of mouth and other tricks to locate outstanding teachers, stealing sometimes. But the growth of the company in the mid-90s, there was an economic, economic boom in Spain and in the U.S. in the best years of Clinton. Uh, there was a boom before the dot-com bust in the year 2000. And I needed teachers. And so I finally decided to create them from scratch. And the policy here is to look for people with no teaching experience. We don't want people who have teaching experience. Um, there's a saying in Spanish, cada maestrillo tiene su librillo, which means every school teacher has his own little teaching book or his own little text. And the text, the teacher's usually bad and the text is usually bad. So we prefer a tabula rasa. And so we look for people with no teaching experience. However, we look for two attributes and two attributes only, energy in their person and humility. Humility in the sense of capacity for self-analysis, capacity for introspection, they know they're not the king of the mountain and maybe will never be the king of the mountain, but they are, they are in, more innocent than smartass. You know, on, on the spectrum of the most naive, we prefer naive people who are intelligent to smart Alex. <laughs> and, uh, and then we train the hell out of them. Once we find people that we think have those two attributes, energy and humility, they go through two weeks of brutal training. I mean, they, they're, they're, it's 18 to 20 hours a day. Really? Yeah, because they have to do a lot of homework. Oh, okay. Now, these people, because they've never taught anything, much less English, they, they're intelligent, but they don't know what the present perfect is. So they have to learn the theory of the grammar structure of the language as, as it would pertain to a foreigner learning the language. I mean, we don't need to teach dangling participles or split infinitives like they teach in grammar in English class in high school. So we have to teach them what it is, and then we have to teach them how to teach it. And it's a teacher-centered, centric teaching where the teacher is the star and the leader. It's leadership in the classroom. And the idea is, is that it's like an orchestra conductor who puts them to the works. For example, if you're 20 kilos overweight and you need to lose, you want to tone up, lose weight, gain cardio, well, you go to a, an aerobics teacher or to a high-intensity training teacher. What kind, of te what kind of instructor do you want? You want somebody who puts you through the works and makes you sweat and lose a kilo a day. And you adore that teacher's wow. And it's exactly the same learning a language. You have to reproduce orally the, the, the important elements of structure until sweat forms on your upper lip. And we can, we can do it. I'll do it with you. I'm going to, you're my student. Okay. All right. 
and we're gonna I will demonstrate to the listener how agile you and I are uh, okay. you see ask me where I was born where were you born Richard I was born in Texas ask me what city I was born in what city were you born in I was born in Houston ask me how old my sister was when I was born how old was your sister when you were born? She was three years old. Ask me how old my brother was when I was born. How old was your brother when you were born? I don't have any brothers, all right? Ask me if, um, ask me where my sister is now. Where's your sister now? Uh, she's in Denver, Colorado. Ask me what she does for a living. Am I going to be tested on all of this? Yes. <laughs> what does she do for a living? Uh, she's an interior decorator. Ask me how long she's been working in interior decoration. How long has she been working in interior decoration? Uh, all of her, all of her life, practically, and uh, ask me if she's married. Is she married? Yes, she is. Ask me how many kids she has. How many kids does she have? She has two kids. Ask me if they're grown. Are they grown? Yes, they are. Ask me if they live in Denver too. Do they also live in Denver? No, they don't. Ask me where they live. Where do they live? Which one? The older one or the younger <laughs> one? <laughs> the older one. The older one lives in uh, Carbondale. Okay, it's a city, and, and ask me what he does for a living. What does he do for a living? He's a prof professor of philosophy, and he has his own church, Oh, his own denomination. <laughs> and ask me what the other one does. What does the other one do? He's a nomadic, he's a nomad going all around the states trying to, uh, to publish uh, his rock recordings, pop music and rock. And I think he's semi-successful, so he's struggling. <laughs> now, ask me uh, how, when the last time was I went to Denver. When did you last go to Denver? The, I last went to Denver about four, five years ago, before before the pandemic. And uh, ask me if I get along with my sister. Do you get along with your sister? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, ask me if we got along when we were little. Did you get along when you were little? Uh, yeah, because three years is a big difference. And so it was. if it had been only one year, two years, probably we would have fought more. You see... Now, ask me what time my sister gets up. What time does your sister get up? She gets up about 6 o'clock. Ask me why she gets up so early. Why so early? Why does she? Why does she get up so early? Uh, you need to use the auxiliary verb, <laughs> does. You see? Mm. <laughs> so I'm, that's what I'm teaching. You see, I'm mm -hmm. making the student ask a thousand questions. Mm. See, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me. And they're, they're formulating the interrogative. Bum, 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 bum. Mm. Or I say, if they're two students... Said, ask him, ask him, ask him, ask him, mm -hmm. ask him. And I got lazy and said, yeah. why so early? Well, it's because you're a native speaker. Yes, now, I got really lazy. Now, if there are three, I would say, tell him to ask her where her sister lives. You say, Pedro, ask Maria where her sister lives. And Pedro turns and says, Maria, where lives your sister? Excuse me? Uh, where where your sister live? Sorry? Where, mm. uh, where does your sister lives? Hmm? Where does your sister live? Uh, what, 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 is, what does he want to know? He, he wants to know where does her sister live? Excuse me? <laughs> it's not a question. Ah, he wants to know where her sister lives. Okay, and then she answers, she lives in Denver. Mm. And so so we're, we're working on the nitty gritty, yeah. ugly structure mm -hmm. of the language to gain continuous agility, greater agility and greater dynamic and, and ease with the structure of the language. What does she want to know? She wants to know where your sister lives. Well, ask her, where does your sister live? What does she do for a living? You know, the, does she do, does she live mm -hmm. and things. It's interesting about these things. And in English, for example, 
uh, if you say if it's he, where does he? We we eliminate the H. Yes. Does he? Which means the masculine he loses its masculinity. Where does he? The S of does invades and eats, let's yes. say, devours yeah. the H. But with feminine, it's different. She devours and says, does she? Where does she? The S of does is devoured mm-hmm. by the SH of she. Where does she? Where does she live? Where does he? Where does he live? What does he do? Where is he? Would he? What, what, what would he do? Would he? Like Woody Allen. What would he do? Right. What would he do? What would she? So the, fem, fe, the feminine element is much more powerful phonetically in English. The SH. What would she do? What would he do? What did he do? Do what did he did he dum did he do? What did he do? What does he do for a living? What would he do for a living? What will he? What will he do? Like Willie Nelson. Willie. And so we, we don't. And so the, these are a lot of little things that people don't realize about their own language. Yeah. You see, mm-hmm. will she, what will she do if she finds out? What will he do? You know, we never say, what will he do? Never. Not the Brits, nor the Americans, nor the Australians. But in any case, we're getting off on, <laughs> on technique, technical aspects of teaching and learning and things, which are a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's complicated because we do write like that. We don't speak like that, but we write like that. Does she? Of course. Does he? Of course. Will he? So yes. it can be confusing to a non-native speaker. The well, writing and the speaking part. Are well, different. the writing is easy for non-natives for reading. Basic English, they can read it and understand it usually perfectly. But they cannot uh, recognize it when spoken dynamically mm-hmm. by natives in native flow, mm-hmm. you see. And so <laughs> it's a, that's, that's why Vontown exists, is to give them the real McCoy yeah. in that case. But getting back to you. So you grew up with a tumultuous mm-hmm. uh, first 20 years, apparently, mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, you were, must have been a difficult girl for your mother. Well, my mother actually passed when I was seven. Ooh, that could be one of the mm-hmm. reasons. And that's why I have her last name, to honor her. Okay. After my second divorce, my lawyer said, you can have any of the last names you've already had. Your maiden name, one of your previous married names, but if you want a different name, you have to pay for it. <laughs> oh, really? Said. Is it expensive? <laughs> yes. If I want to change my name to Peterson? <laughs> yes, it was $500 <laughs> for me to take my mother's maiden name, but I wanted it as a way to honor her, and I love the French between my first, middle, and last name. Now it's all French. Have you ever thought about coming here to live? Well, that's the reason for the six-month trial next year is to slowly try it out. And I, I think I'd be dealing with residency issues. I don't know how well, that's Well, it depends. Done. It depends. They have what they call a golden visa. You know this. Is that the digital nomad visa? No. Oh. Gold, as, far, as far as I'm not an expert on this, I think the golden visa, if you bring in $500,000... You inject mm. it into the Spanish economy through a bank account, whatever. Mm. Uh, you get a visa, and you can work. Oh. Your green, the equivalent of a green card. Okay, okay. Uh, check that out. I'm not sure if it's dollars or euros. Okay. And I'm not sure if I'm up to date on the legislation. Okay. That's good to know, though. Because then you can, if you want to settle here, the thing is, if you're doing your coaching and other types of work, you're doing it online. Mm-hmm. Which I am. Well, it doesn't matter because you can bill. Yeah. In, in situ. 
yes. in the U.S. Yeah. But if you want to collaborate, for example, with us part-time or something, you want to do a few English classes or or be a a, a, man, a director of Vontown mm-hmm. sporadically, mm-hmm. well, then you have to... Then you'd have to collect, and you have need a bank account here, mm. but a normal bank account, not a foreigner bank account. Mm. In that case, but it would be very difficult for you to get the green card, the Spanish equivalent, mm-hmm. the work visa, if you don't have that golden visa. Mm. You'd have to marry a, a local. Okay. You know. Okay. Well, that's not a bad idea. Well, there are a lot of locals. <laughs> at at my age and your age, it would probably be eligible. You know, do you have a Spanish boyfriend? No. Huh? no. No boyfriend at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you know, also you could have a girlfriend. I mean, just yesterday I was in a an event and I was I was introduced to an ambassador, a female ambassador of an, another country, I'm not going to say. And um and she introduced me to her wife. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think here it would be, I think it's recognized. Mm. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I think you have a lot of options there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've also been looking at the digital nomad visa that Spain introduced after COVID, which I think gives someone from the U.S. up to a year to be here, which is not the same as residency, but it allows them to be here a year. That's an interesting nomad visa. That means you do nomadic going all around Spain. <laughs> all right. It's for people that work remotely and that bill from the U.S., you know, or, or other countries, and they want to spend time in Spain. Mm-hmm. So I'm considering all of that, too. I have a little research to do after my trip is finished here. But, but yeah, I would like to spend more time here. Where do your daughters live? My oldest daughter is 38, and she lives in Michigan with her family and two of my grandkids. My other daughter is 37, and she lives in Maryland with my other three grandkids. What's strange that they live in the two places you lived before. And that I don't want to go back to because of winter. (laughs) But they were born? In Michigan. Uh, Actually, they were born in West Virginia when I was married to my first husband, and then they grew up in Michigan. We're in Charleston. Charlestown, West Virginia. All right. I've been there. Yep. And and I visit, but I don't like to go in the winters into the onto the East Coast or anything like that. Oh, so I, I visit them in the summers. I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma for nine years when I was a teenager, mm. and even there, the winters were very hard. Mm-hmm. That's a Midwest winter, yes. the bottom of the Midwest. But yes, you, you caught the the cold fronts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. We call them northers in that area. Okay, and the temperature could fall. Fahrenheit temperatures could fall 40 degrees in two hours. I mean, if you look at the globe, you see that uh, you have in Canada, Alaska, Canada, U.S. and Mexico, you have the Rockies coming down diagonally from west to east, diagonal. And you have the Appalachians diagonal from east to to west. Uh, But in the middle, there's nothing all the way to the North Pole. And so the cold fronts come down and there's, there's, they're, they're funneled into this. And by the time it reaches Texas, I mean, I remember I lived for two years in Dallas and I remember getting up at three o'clock in the morning, waking up and closing the window because the room, t- the temperature of the room was, wow. you know, about 40 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, you know, maybe five degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone to bed, it was 25. <laughs> what a drop. 
Yeah, we call those a norther, norteño, a norther. Mm-hmm. So, but, okay, so you you moved to Phoenix when you were 38. Yeah, I was about 38. So, so you, but by that time, you had your master's degree. I was in the process of getting it. So where did you do your, okay, you did your associate degree in, in Maryland. Uh, let's see, associate's degree was in Michigan. Oh, because it was after my first divorce, I moved back to Michigan and went back to school. And then my bachelor's was online because by then they had online classes, which wasn't a thing earlier than that. But more than online, okay, it was online with computer screen. Yes. Oh. Yes. It wasn't simply a correspondence course. No, nope. no. It was an accredited university that was offering online. So that, that degree was in management. And then, so your associate's degree in psychology, mm-hmm. and your bachelor's, bachelor's in degree management. in management. And then, during my second marriage, toward the end of that marriage, I went back for my master's, and that is in industrial and organizational psychology. Okay, in Maryland or in Michigan. That still. was in Arizona. Oh, okay. online. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, because by then I was in the corporate world, I had been in the corporate world for. 15, 20 years. But you were still in the insurance. I had moved into the HR, human resources space. Within the medical insurance. Uh, It was out of the medical insurance and in another industry. And I was doing corporate training because I got very interested in training, educating. What what elements of corporate training? I was doing leadership development. So soft skills, customer service, um, decision-making, communication, a lot of the soft skills, not the technical skills. Soft skills are more important. And a lot of people don't have them because remember in the corporate world, I was seeing all the dysfunction throughout my career of what was happening between individuals and leaders and their direct reports. And I was seeing the lack of soft skills throughout any organization I worked for in any role I was in. And that's why I directed myself into HR, because that's the area that kind of uh, works on those things with people and helps leaders develop and grow. So I got really interested in leadership development. I was doing internal coaching, things like that. And I still felt like I was not um, cut out to be an employee. I, I've always had more of an entrepreneurial spirit. So you don't work well under bosses. <sighs> I, <husbands>. try. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I <laughs> try. So I. So you have an independent streak. I do. From from childhood, probably. Yes. Yes. Probably because of my childhood. Yeah. So I ended up. Uh, I've I've started several businesses during my career, which I've always done on the side while I was working full time. But at at some point, I just took the leap and I left my full time job during my second divorce and started the business that I have now, which is coaching, executive coaching. So working with leaders in the business world, uh, coaching them on how to be better leaders, how to meet their goals better, their business goals, how to run their teams better. It's very popular here to, to especially people during periods when there's a lot of layoffs here. Uh, some of the people go into coaching, mentoring and coaching. Uh, that seems like a difficult job to me. 
you know? Well, it can be. It's very, it's very psychological because you're dealing one to, I work one to one, not in groups, but one to one. And you're, it's been called management therapy. It's not therapy, but that's how some people refer to it because you've got the leaders coming to you with thing, fires that they put out every day and they don't know, they're having trouble making decisions. They're getting caught up in their own head. Their anxiety is kicking in. There's imposter syndrome. They have enough humility to admit they're they're not doing things perhaps right or they can do things better. Yes. And so they seek you out. Yes. Because I don't work with people who have an ego. They have to be willing to do the work. Well, many, many people, yeah, fine. But, hey, everybody has an ego. It just depends on what you know degree. And they have to be able to let go of it slightly while they're in coaching and do the work. So I, I explain very clearly in the beginning what coaching is, what it is not, what the expectation is. And what is coaching not? It's not therapy. It's not mentoring. It's not training. Those are different modalities. And I believe there's a place for all of that when someone's developing. I believe they need all of it. I have people that work with me and they work with a therapist also because for them, like me, the corporate world has triggered some things from their past and it's coming into their leadership style. You know what I mean? So we discover that sometimes in coaching and I recommend that they go work also with a therapist to deal with that. Do most of the people you deal with as you're, did you coach, are they at the CEO level? Director to CEO. Okay. All those levels in between. Do you find that uh, the... Um, the, the typical American CEO of the top 1,000 companies, are they mentally stable? I guess we'd have to define what that means. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back and try to, to define mental stability, if anybody has it, <laughs> after the break. We'll be right back. At MD Consulting, executive coach Monique Daigneault provides executive coaching to leaders struggling with workplace challenges and pain points. Unlike other coaching companies that use a Band-Aid approach, we have a specific set of tools and processes to thoroughly root cause and unpack a client's challenges. Our specialized method helps you implement measurable and sustainable solutions to enhance your leadership skills and develop your team. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com to book a complimentary breakthrough session. Are you ready to unlock your full potential as a leader? Look no further than MD Consulting. Monique Daigneault, executive coach, best-selling author, and captivating public speaker, is here to guide you towards transformational success. With a global reach, Monique empowers executive leaders and HR professionals through engaging presentations at conferences, team-building activities, and industry gatherings. Monique's mission is clear, to revolutionize workplace behavior. She achieves this not only by coaching a diverse clientele, but also by educating corporate leaders through both virtual and in-person events. Thank you so much for being here to help us understand. As a recognized subject matter expert, Monique delves into crucial topics such as psychological safety, onboarding strategies, effective training methods, 
and mastering time management skills. Now for a great topic that we're going to delve into. Ready to learn more? Request Monique's Speaker One Sheet or secure her for an engaging speaking engagement by sending an email to monique at mdconsultingglobal.com. Don't miss this opportunity to elevate your leadership journey with Monique Daniel and MD Consulting. Unleash your potential today. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com or email monique at mdconsultingglobal.com to take the next step towards transformative leadership. MD Consulting, where success begins. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Leading with Intention. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to an exciting version of Leading with Intention, where I'm being interviewed by Richard Vaughn, the founder of Vaughn Town. This is the second episode where Richard interviewed me while I was in Spain volunteering for Vaughn Town. You've heard me talk before about how Vaughn Town is an organization that provides English language services in Spain to Spanish business professionals. I have been volunteering with them for a number of summers, and it's just an incredible organization. Continue listening to the second half of this interview as we discuss company culture, coaching, and my future career plans. You'll also hear more idiosyncrasies about the English language and my struggle with Spanish, including what I accidentally washed my clothes with. Keep listening for another half hour of entertainment. Okay, we're back for our last half hour of today's interesting, very interesting edition of Richard Vaughn Live, Tuesday's edition. And I'm here with Monique Dignao, Dignao, president and CEO of a radio of her own business, a radio host in his program on the radio. You have a, your own radio show, yes, in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona, and she's an executive coach at MD Consulting. What does MD stand for? My initials, Monique Dignao. It doesn't mean managing director. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and how long have you had your own business? Uh, close to 10 years now. All right. And so you're very independent. You're a, you're a, a you have the, a free bird. You, you're you almost at a loss for words, Richard. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're very similar in that respect. Mm. The last time I worked for another person, I was 22. Mm. I started working at age 14 as a paper boy. Wow. 3.30 in the morning to 5.30. <laughs> and then I worked... In two different supermarkets or grocery stores as a paper, as a sacker, you know, mm-hmm. stocker as well. Then I worked in a pizzeria for $1 an hour. I took as a making pizzas and serving waiting tables, which was a good job. Mm. I mean, that's, I think everybody should spend a year waiting tables or six months waiting tables uh, to get the people skills, to, to develop, try to develop people skills. And then I worked in a warehouse boxing radiators. <laughs> and operating a forklift. And then I went to college. And I stopped working until age 22. 
And I came here and I had a boss for, I think about three, four, three months. And then I, I was fired, rightfully. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I had, I, I, would, have do, I would do it again today. Uh, but uh, he fired me and he was right. Uh, but I, was, I did what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it was detrimental to the company. And so I knew I would probably be fired, and I was. And then I came back after a Christmas break and started working as a teacher in a, in a nuclear plant in Spain. Really? Nuclear? Yeah. And for about 10 months, I was the teacher at the nuclear plant, teaching the technical staff, managers, why some of the poor wives. They were living out in the middle of nowhere. What Nuc- were you teaching? English. Okay. You know, I was teaching English and to the kiddies as well. Mm. And (laughs) that was a very good experience. I honed my teaching skills out there. And then I came back to Madrid because that's enough is enough of living in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) You know, they put nuclear plants in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) And the poor wives, they they, they were climbing the walls. And I was a happy-go-lucky, bouncy little American guy. (laughs) And so I was the center of their attention. Uh, but I came back to Madrid and started working. I, I found a client, John Deere, the tractor maker. Really? And from there, boom. That's that was the for the following year. I started the company, using as a single client. But I had twelve teachers working there. Yeah. So John Deere was my springboard. That is a great story. Hmm. Oh, that there. is impressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, impressive. I don't know. It was easy. It wasn't difficult. It was based on the power of my personality, mm-hmm. I found, and the applying the style of personality to teaching element. Yeah. Because you have to teach, dirt, you know, nitty-gritty grammar, mm-hmm. but you you got to do it in such a way that people are just having fun. Right. How can you teach the verb to, to take and have fun? <laughs> How long does it take you? How long would it take you to climb Mount Everest if you had three legs, you know, and you and go on and on? And you can have a lot of fun with these things. But um, we're talking about you because we're talking about coaching. Yeah. And you were coaching people at, what, what's the average age of your of your clients? Between 55 and 60. It's pretty old to change somebody. Can you change, uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I've seen it happen. I think it depends on their personality their desire to change their incentives because some people want promotions and they keep getting turned down. At age 57, they want a promotion? Mm-hmm. Because they keep getting passed over and they don't know why. And so they come to coaching and we figure out what the gaps are. And they have that incentive that they want to make changes. What are the most common gaps? For lack of promotion, it's usually they don't communicate well. In every direction. Yes. And they've been told this or their direct reports have been complaining. Uh, But can you transform somebody from a mediocre communicator to a good communicator? Coaching is very, very powerful. That's why it's not like mentoring or training or anything like that. It's very powerful, the methodology of it. And I firmly believe in it. That's why I've been doing it for so long. So I've seen many, many changes and many promotions. Are you trying to... Okay. When, when I have a lot of friends here in Spain who are in the area of soft skill training, mm-hmm. and they know I'm not a big believer in it uh, because I've seen people teaching them English. I, some of them, that what, what, what it is, if there's not an epiphany, 
I don't think there's going to be a change. To change somebody from a, a media, somebody who's insufficient in something to, where they're more than sufficient, but good, effective, I think they need to have a psychological transformation, mm-hmm. which I call often epiphany like Paul, St. Paul mm-hmm. on the way to Damascus, you know. Mm-hmm. He falls from his donkey or whatever, and uh, he's converted. There's a conversion or a transformation that mm-hmm. it has to be. It's it's very intimately connected to their neurons and something. Is that what you try to? Yes, that's what coaching is you about. You try to affect. Yes, and that's why my degree in psychology helps. Even though it's not therapy and I'm not a therapist, the that knowledge helps and the methodology of coaching combined with someone who does want to make a change, they have these aha moments, these epiphanies in coaching. And it's very powerful. And it's it helps facilitate the rest of the process for them. So yes, I think it, it does work and people can change. But you have to make them see it. They have to see it, yes. How, how do you make people become more introspective or, or what, what, what? Well, coaching involves a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness. And a lot of their action items that they get assigned, like homework, quote, homework, involves self-reflection, where they have to go away and self-reflect on something that we've talked about. Do you find they're willing to do this or able to do this? If their end result, if their incentive is big enough. So if they want that promotion, if they want direct reports to stop complaining about them, those are the incentives within the business world that cause them to make these changes. So yeah, I see it every day. And they pay you, or does the organization? Both. I have private clients that pay me out of pocket, and I have organizations that pay. But an organization, is there are many organizations in favor of coaching among their staff? Yes, it's very popular in the United States. A lot of anywhere from small businesses up to the Fortune 500 companies are paying for coaching for their staff, especially during COVID. A lot of coaches thought their businesses would go under during COVID because companies were tightening their belts and so forth and not paying for things. But the opposite happened. And companies started realizing that they had to invest in their employees in order to keep them and to help them grow and to help them get through COVID and get through all the mental anguish that was happening so companies started investing dramatically in coaching okay you've been doing this for the past 10 years specifically coaching but before that you were also involved in training and Mm -hmm. soft skill training Mm -hmm. so you've been observing the um, caliber yeah of middle managers and upper and top level managers for 25 years yeah uh is there is is Do you notice a big difference between the year 2000 and the year 2023? I do, because I was in it when I was in my corporate career, and I saw all the dysfunction. And there's been a lot of progress over the decades. There's still a long ways to go. I think there always will be. Anytime you're dealing with human beings, we are always just a work in progress. But... It's been encouraging for me. That's why I've stayed in the business and continue doing it. And that's why I started my own radio show because there's only so much I can do one-to-one in coaching and the show reaches more. Is your radio digital or analog? I mean, are you on the air? It's internet. It's like this. It's internet radio. No, this is is analog and internet. Oh, it's both. We have a million listeners a day. Ah, okay. 
along the day. You see, when when this is on the air right now, it's eight. Okay, it's it's about eight fifteen in the morning, and there are at least two hundred thousand people listening to us right mm. now, right now in their cars. Mm. You see all the traffic congestion mm-hmm. of people coming in from the bedroom communities around mm-hmm. Madrid, plus the people in the city itself moving from point A to point B, especially in the morning going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are only about 20 radio stations on the dial. Uh, and so okay. uh, th- so we are a, a, a standard radio. And people are listening to you right now. Mm-hmm. And the people who are listening digitally could be no more than 5,000 mm-hmm. or 10,000 at this time of the morning. Mm-hmm. But uh, the people in the cars... I mean, you, you, it's as if you're standing in the middle of, you know, a stadium. Is that me? It's okay. not me because I That's, made sure of that. <laughs> I can't believe. I can't believe it. I always keep this thing silent. Yesterday, I turned it on for a reason. But I turned my, my telephone on twice a month for a reason because I'm expecting a call. You know, see? I receive very few calls. <laughs> And so, <laughs> I can't believe it. All right. But in any case, so you've noticed that management, qual- the quality of middle and upper management is better today, you think, than 20 years ago. Yes. Yes. Because of, okay, you, basically you're training people who are Gen X, right? Yes, and some boomers. And boomers, but mm-hmm. not millennials or Gen Z. A few. A few. A handful, Yes. Is, is it because of improvements in training and atmos and work atmosphere and things, or is it because simply a generational question of a different type of person coming in? I think it's a little of both. I think the boomers typically are a little resistant to change, but they see the younger generations coming in, and they know they have to change. We also, as you get older, you, you're you're more resistant. You just don't want to change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But they're now working with, they have direct reports that are all the younger generations, and they know they have to step up if they want to keep these people and retain them because retention is hard in the U.S. People are leaving companies, and so managers are looking for ways to keep their people, and it's expensive when people leave. The turnover is costing millions for companies. Yeah. So that's another incentive for managers to change and step up and be better managers. They're saving their company money by doing that. So, so, there's, so for you, a lot of managers are poor leaders in the sense they're poor communicators. And, you know, managing, as a manager, you have to, to manage people and processes. Yeah. Now, processes is usually not very difficult. And you have to, first, you have to find people who are very, very good. You know, if you're going the recruitment process, mm-hmm. staffing and things. Now, to, for me, it's been very easy to, to, I mean, I've had to deal with teachers, hundreds and hundreds of teachers, you know. Uh, but um, it's if, if your personality is such that you're a good cu- communicator or they like you, then a few of them will let you down. A few of them will disappoint you. But uh, it's I've, I've found... Managing people to be very easy. Of course, you have to change diapers often. <laughs> but you have to, you know, I mean, if 10% problems, but the other 90% is working like a clock, like clockwork. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good then. 
there must be something, some kind of a combination with your personality, your style, Vaughn Town in general, the company, the company culture, the policies. It's a combination of things that make people want to stay mm-hmm. and that keep people happy. And how long are you going? Do you plan to continue working as a coach indefinitely? I love doing it. So, yeah, indefinitely. I mean, eventually I'd like to maybe cut down on the hours a little bit and do some other things. More volu- I would love to do more volunteer work. Um, I'm writing a, I would love to write another book. I have one that I'm looking for a publisher now. So I'd like to actually come to Spain by next year and be writing my second book here. What's your first book about? What's the title? It is um, Mindfulness in Leadership. All right. A handbook for a corporate executives. So it's really a handbook for a corporate executive. For corporate executives. Um, for corporate executives. Yep, plural. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's really based on all the things I've been coaching on, the topics I've been coaching on, the things people are bringing to coaching, and then providing readers with strategies and tips. When did you publish it? I'm looking for a publisher. Uh, that's your first book. No, this is my this Se- is my third one. The first two were self published, and those were business books also. But this one, those were done in collaboration with some other authors. This one is is my baby, and I chose not to go the self publishing route this time. I'm looking for a traditional publisher, so marketing the manuscript. But they always like to see a second one, another one coming. All right. So my goal for next year is to be in Spain because it kind of gets my creative juices flowing being here for some reason and to be writing that book next year. In How's Spain. your Spanish? I will need to be working on that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should come here. We don't, well, we do teach Spanish, but on request. And you don't see, you also have to have a, like the person has to already have a basic command of the language? No. Oh, no. You can start from scratch. Because I've looked into that program, but I thought... But here, I mean, we don't offer it. I mean, I, I, it's probably not on the website. Oh, okay. That's where I, I was I looking. don't know. I don't think it's even on the website. Uh, if somebody specifically asks for Spanish, we're capable, usually okay. capable of providing it and very, very well, because at least half of our English teachers speak perfect Spanish. Or, well, mm. I would say maybe 20% of our... I would say 10% of our English teachers are Spanish. Okay. They grew up here. Okay. And so they speak, they speak perfect Spanish and they know how to teach uh-huh. English. If you know how to teach English, you know how to teach Spanish. Uh-huh. It's, it's just that most of them would prefer not to. Not to teach Spanish. Yeah, sp- teaching Spanish, oh. <laughs> it's more difficult than English. Someone else told me that. Well, the two easiest languages to learn, in my opinion, in the world, I mean, for a German or for a Japanese or somebody, is Spanish and English. Hmm. And English is easier. The only, the only truly difficult thing about English is that it's the spelling is not how you pronounce the word. You can't use the written word as a as a help and guide toward the spoken word. Yeah. And that's a big problem. I mean, in Spanish, you say mesa, M-E-S-A, mm-hmm. botella, microfono, mm. you know, and so you say teléfono. It's very easy. Uh, but you can. But in English, we have many silent letters. Debt. We don't mm, say debt. That's you know? right. Debt. That's right. Doubt and things. Yeah. But there are thousands of silent letters in English and strange spellings. Mm-hmm. And like in French as well, like your surname. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I've actually been having trouble with some of the Spanish words since I've been here, even though I look them up online. So, like yesterday, for example, 
I accidentally washed my clothes with floor cleaner instead of laundry detergent. Oh my. Yes, that's what I said too. Um, I could have. I was looking at the pictures on the bottle. I looked up the words. I could have sworn it was laundry detergent, but it was floor cleaner. All right. So. Well, that's a ba- that's basic reading skills. Then, all right. Not not only speaking skills. You have a lot to learn. I would recommend if you want to stay here permanently or semi-permanently that you do make an effort for the language because when you start to understand people with relative ease, an entire new dimension opens up in your experience of mm-hmm. living in an, abroad, mm-hmm. in this case, Spain. It just opens up. And if you can reach the level where you can understand their jokes and laugh with them or the humor yeah. and irony, although well, they have, they're not very ironic, but the, the, the Spanish humor and things, and you can... Then you, you just feel uh, you're in, in control. You're, you're, you're the yeah. master of the universe, of your own yeah. desired universe. So uh, I would recommend. And I've had students who started as a beginner at advanced ages. I mean, there's a, there's a family doctor, a GP, mm-hmm. uh, who just wrote me the other day. And he, st- uh, he started just before the pandemic, at, I think at age 67. He started... And uh, now he's reached a, a very good written level and, he, and a fairly good spoken level. Wow. So it is true. It's you possible. Can't, yeah. And I remember the best student I've ever had in my life was a colonel, an artillery expert in Spanish infantry and artillery. He started at age 57 as a beginner, absolute beginner. He knew nothing. He didn't know if we said no or nine or niet to, to negate and within two years, he was able to get by and receive visitors from abroad. Two years, that was it. Yeah. Okay. But he applied military discipline. He fell in love with me. He fell in love with the language. Mm. He said, wow. I mean, with his teacher. And, I'm gonna, mm. and he applied that military discipline. And I think his wife said, my God, he's English. The only thing is based <laughs> wallpaper with English. <laughs> you know, because if you don't get your student to bust his, his ass for you, you know, I want my students to go to Antarctica and back for me. Mm-hmm. That's leadership, how to get people to bust their ass for you because they want to. Yes. Not because you necessarily pay them more than the people on the mm-hmm. other across the street. Mm-hmm. And you don't, and so that's it. That's leadership, how to get people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Mm-hmm. And they uh, immensely enjoy working with you. It's a bit like love, you know. Yeah. The, the At least the first phases of love when you just, you know. And so they then they will... In doing, they'll achieve incredible things, yeah, and be incredibly effective in their job mm-hmm. when you have that type of of devotion. And it's not necessarily devotion to cosmetics or to English teaching or to, you know, to pharmica, mm-hmm. sale of pharmica tables. No, it's a devotion to the leader. Yeah. So when you have a good leader who's really very positive, it's, it's the, this. You have cases in in the history of corporate you know Lou Gerstner went into IBM and turned it around in the 80s IBM that was they were uh, predicting the death of IBM and they brought in Lou Gerstner who had never worked in that sector and he, mm-hmm. he turned it around mm-hmm. and still today IBM strong and so it's it's the again we come back to the concept it's the person yes it's the person you know and so leadership when you have leadership at the top of an organization, positive leadership, it's very difficult that organizations go sour. When you have a leader in, in a country, a very good leader, they can inspire people to row more or less in the same direction. 
There are very few of those on the world stage today. And in the classroom, it's the same. When you have a a leader in the classroom, the kids, kids or the adults Mm -hmm. respond and and absorb, assimilate very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Learning and assimilation is very fast when you're motivated. You know, I always say, I mean, to learn... To learn anything, to learn algebra, basic and intermediate algebra, you can learn it in two weeks if you're highly motivated, if you fall in love with it. Eric Clapton, when he turned 17, he didn't know how to play the guitar. By the time he turned 18, he was already among the top 10 in the UK on electric guitar. I mean, well, what he did was he he lived, he slept with the guitar, you know. You know, and so you find that in sports, you find that in everything, you know, when you fall in love with the subject. And falling in love is usually not... It it's comes from that external stimulus, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so in, in coaching, that's, I mean, if it's, I've, I'm more of a, a bit of a skeptic, but when I, I meet people like you, I'm, I tend to say maybe my skepticism is unfounded, you know. Could so be. You've transformed people. Yes. It's very <laughs> fulfilling. That's why I stay in it. And that's, I'm trying to get my message out there to more leaders, which is what the radio show is for and the book and and things like that. And as a matter of fact, in Vaughntown next week, what do you think about this? I was thinking about seeing if one of my students would be interviewed by me, would allow me to interview them for the show and give them a chance to practice. For the show? For what show? For my show, for my radio show. Okay. Do you think that's, do sure. you think they'd be too shy to? Well, first of all, you don't, once you meet them, yeah. On the first day or first two days, well, mm-hmm. you, then you'll know which one is probably the ideal candidate. Mm-hmm. And you talk to the program director. Or you talk to, well, you don't need to. You can simply talk to that person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you can probably pick out the right person. Yeah. And it would be a radio show that would be online, Yeah. you see. Yeah. And you would film it, uh, you would record it there mm-hmm. on the spot. Mm-hmm. You have the equipment to record it. Yes, yes. Or you would do it simply with your phone. No, I have the equipment. So I think it, I, I've, I've traveled with my equipment because I've been broadcasting while I've been in Spain every week live. So right. it's, it, it, it's live and then it's on demand for later on. So I was thinking it would be really fun to get one of the students to be my guest. Okay. And we could talk all about communication, business. Well, you know that you spend almost an hour with each one each time, so you have plenty of time to set it up or rehearse it on a prior hour and do it on a later hour. Yes, yes, because it's an hour-long show, so it would be perfect. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm with Monique Dignao. I'll learn it one day, (laughs) one of these years. Monique Dignao from Phoenix, Arizona, originally from Michigan, also Maryland and West Virginia. She has five grandchildren and uh, two daughters, and, and she is a coach, and apparently a very successful coach, and she's been to Vontown several times, and she's going back next week. Monique, thank you so much for coming in. It's been a real pleasure. Thank two you. programs we did together. Yes, this has been fun. Thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks for listening today to Leading with Intention, where Richard Vaughn interviewed me a second time in Madrid, Spain, on his live radio show, Richard Vaughn Live. Wow, we talked about all kinds of things from language immersion to coaching to my future plans as a coach. I hope you enjoyed getting to know me a little better. Visit my website at mdconsultingglobal.com and there you can sign up for my blog 
You can subscribe to all my social media so that you can keep track of what I'm doing and where I'm at. And there's also a resource page there where you can download a lot of informative resources regarding leadership. We'll talk again next week. And until then, don't forget to lead with intention. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Leading with Intention. Our intention is that you walk away from this show today with new tools, techniques, and insights that help you lead more effectively and have greater impact within your company. Until we talk again, have a great week.